Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Happy Halloween. I am Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but the annuals don't count. And you can't dispute that because I'm dressed as Spider-Man tonight. All right. Well, like that does give you some cred, but I'm here to thwart that as the Hobgoblin. Yes, it is Halloween, and Mark and I are broadcasting in costumes. I've got my uh, Hobgoblin cosplay that I've been kind of rocking for a few Halloweens. Mark, you are in the tightest outfit I've ever seen you in, um, which I don't know if there's competition for that. It's certainly the tightest thing I own, Dan, for sure. (laughs) All right, great. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this long-awaited sixth episode of Season 5 of The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Yeah, Dan, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So that makes today the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, and um, you know, in addition to that, I wanted to mention Mark and I have been at this for over 300 episodes, which incidentally turns out to be the maximum number of episodes you can have in a podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. So if you're someone who's looking to listen through our catalog, the best place to do that, to listen to all of our old stuff, is on AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Each new episode means, you know, each new episode that we do now from now on means one less episode will be in our podcasting feed. So we're slowly erasing ourselves, Mark. You know, some of our favorite interviews we've ever done came in some of the earlier times of our show, like uh, our early discussions with Mark Bagley, Ron Friends, Tom DeFalco, and others like Jerry Conway. So they're slowly starting to disappear from the podcast feed. So again, if you're someone that really wants to kind of hear everything that Mark and I have done over the years, make sure to check out AmazingSpiderTalk.com to hear some of our best old stuff as they slowly get rotated out of the Apple Podcasts app. So, you know, some people have been asking, where's the first episode of the show? It still exists. It just, you know, has fallen out of our feed. That's the, 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 tr- the trick to the treat of new episodes, so to speak. 
Is that why we haven't recorded this episode in a while, Dan? <laughs> yeah, right. We're just we're anxiously worried that our great stuff is gonna is gonna go away. In this season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk, we've been going back to the mid '80s, where comics were changing, embracing new visual styles, aging up with their audience, and ditching formulas that defined serialized superheroes for decades. But you know, some things never change. Spider-Man comics wouldn't be the same without a goblin of some kind. And even Roger Stern felt the pressure to pit Spider-Man against a flying, cackling menace. Yeah, and that menace was none other than the fan-favorite mystery villain, the Hobgoblin. Yes, the time has finally come for Dan and I to talk about our favorite villain, as we've promised to do almost since the inception of our show. And this is just the beginning. Strap yourselves in because this is part one of three of our Hobgoblin coverage and we are starting with the beginning of it all, Roger Stern's Hobgoblin stories. So today we'll be discussing who the Hobgoblin is, well, who he was when he was introduced, (laughs) Uh, his story during Roger Stern's run, why we love him so much, and all of the the behind-the-scenes drama that brought him to life. Yeah, so if you want to follow along with us on our journey through Roger Stern's Hobgoblin, we're going to be discussing the event specifically from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 238, 239, 244, 245, Spectacular number 85, and Amazing Spider-Man numbers 249 to 251 to close out the Roger Stern run. Plus, we're going to be referencing some excellent interviews on the character that have been done over the years, not just on our show, but also in the pages of Back Issue Magazine. That's issue number 35, Marvel Age issue number 111. If you haven't already checked it out, Tom DeFalco has an excellent book of creator interviews called Comic Creators on Spider-Man that has a ton of great information about the birth of the Hobgoblin and the subsequent fallout and all that stuff. So those are just a few places that we're going to be pulling some information from. So if you like what you heard on our show, you can also go there and read even more information that maybe Mark and I didn't cover. So this is it, Mark. We're here to talk the Hobgoblin. We've delayed long enough. Let's let's get into it. Who is the Hobgoblin, Mark? When we he, when he was first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 238, we didn't know who the Hobgoblin was, but we do know that he was co-created by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. It's also worth noting that that first issue was actually inked by John Romita Sr., so it was J.R.J.R. being inked by J.R. Sr. That happened a few times, but you know it was always kind of a cool coming together, and it kind of added to the momentousness of the the event itself. Obviously, you know, in the post Dicko Lee, post Ramita Senior Lee years, you know, a couple of villains have kind of hung around. Obviously, Venom is one of the big ones, but I would say, like, next to Venom, Hobgoblin was the big post Silver Age villain to to kind of not only just hang around, but really catch on as a Spider-Man villain. I mean, is that a fair a fair assessment for you, Dan? I think that's fair, but I also think it's important to note that he's one of the few legacy villains that I think has really caught on and really gained a life of his own. I know that like when we talked to J.R.J.R. on the show, he kind of dismissed him as like, oh, it's just another goblin, you know, but I think the Hobgoblin has kind of eclipsed that shadow in some ways. And it's very few legacy villains or even legacy characters really get to do that. You know, I'm thinking of like Lady Octopus and things like that, that you just never, 
I, I mean, I guess you can't say you don't ever see her because we saw her recently. You know, they just don't have quite the same presence as the Hobgoblin. He made himself, you know, huge on the stage really quickly. I, and I, I think both he and Venom share that kind of thing, which is like the minute they showed up, you knew that this person was going to hang around for a while and be an interesting character. That doesn't always work out. And we'll discuss the problems with the Hobgoblin plenty. I think that's like a pretty like monumental thing in its own right. Just to get it out of the way, because, you know, we're going to we're going to dissect this every which way over the next three episodes. But in terms of who is actually the Hobgoblin, you know, in case you are confused by your continuity or you're trapped in a comic book from 1987, the Hobgoblin is Roderick Kingsley. When he was first introduced by Stern back in his spectacular Spider-Man run, Roderick was kind of he was a fashion magnate of uh, a fashion guru or how would you how, you know a businessman who worked in the fashion industry not necessarily someone that you would have pinned as a supervillain, but you know we'll get into that <laughs> i mean he was certainly cutthroat right like that's one of the things that we learned very early on like for all of his characterization and we discussed the problem problems with his characterization a few episodes back in in season four you know, there was one thing that was consistent about him, which is like he seemed to be willing to do pretty much anything to get to the top. I think that's an important character beat to kind of like mention here. So, like, what are some of the powers that define the Hobgoblin? Is he just the Green Goblin part two? No, he's not. I mean, he's got some of the Goblin's characteristics like super strength and speed and stamina, durability, reflexes and senses. This was something that, again, kind of got warped over time but like he was early on established with having an enhanced intellect and you know unlike norman osborne it it was an intellect without the 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 psychosis and the mania initially right i mean like is that you know is that again a fair assessment of of where his his head was at (laughs) yeah i think that was like always stern's idea from the get-go was, you know, I want to do, my unique wrinkle will be, it's not an Osborne, and it's someone that is using the powers of the goblin without the madness. You know, he's going to be cunning and, you know, really controlled in his manner of how he pulls this off. And I think it's largely the thing we like about the character is that attribute that Roger Stern applied to him. I don't know if like his intellect gets enhanced further by the goblin serum, but there is some confusion there, um, which we're going to talk about later in this episode. You know, the impact of that serum on the character kind of in the pages of this run, but not really. And I mean, of course, like, I mean, he used a lot of the goblin weaponry that, you know, because he, he, you know, he basically stumbles upon. Norm, some of Norman's old lairs. So that's how he comes across like the, the, the goblin glider and, you know, the pumpkin bombs and, you know, other weapons that kind of are associated with the Green Goblin. But again, like you said, the, the, the personality attributes are a little different. Now, what about his design? I mean, we had JRJR on a few uh, months ago um, and, you know, he certainly, ex- you know, shared some of this. I mean, what, 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 what do you take away from the design of the goblin, Hobgoblin? Yeah, I mean, like like JR said, you know, he really just kind of iterated on the Green Goblin costume. He felt like he wanted to offer up a variant that was slightly scarier. So you get like the mask with the one bulging eye that gives him his kind of like iconic evil grimace. You know, he's orange and blue, which is quite different than the Goblin, although he's still got his signature purple purse 
you're, you're not a goblin without a purple purse. I think I think that's that's fair. You know, he's got this cape and hood that is also unique. You know, amongst the the goblins. You know, uh, and the hood known for its kind of like pointed. I don't know what you would call it, like widow's peak. <laughs> how, how you would quantify that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a unique design. I think the mask is probably the most iconic thing, and the coloration uh, uh, of the suit. Is there anything that I'm missing that stood out to you? No, I think you 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 kind of hit on the the design there. So, like, what is it about this character that like makes him stand out? Like you said, like he's intelligent. But if we were to like set him aside, like if you're writing this guy, how do you write him differently than the Green Goblin? When the Green Goblin first got introduced during the Dicko Lee run, I mean, like, you know, he was kind of vying for like, you know, the gang war territory. But like Hobgoblin comes across as much more cunning and manipulative. Like, he, you know, he, he he's really, you know, and that's not just this comes further along in the stern run like i'm thinking of those last few issues where he's kind of blackmailing you know the kingpin and, and you know all the other kind of high class people of of new york but like but even before then like there's more he's playing chess you know he's not just there to be like an agent of chaos or 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 you know to take over gang territory like this guy you know, really has high aspirations in terms of the criminal underworld here. And like he he he, he kind of comes in with a plan. It's it, it, it seems much more formulated than what we saw with like the Osbournes prior to this. This is not a guy that's going to take Gwen Stacy on the top of a bridge and drop her off. He has no concern for that. Like to him, Spider-Man is more just an obstacle in his path than it is any kind of like personal vendetta. I mean, I think it becomes more personal over time, but uh, you know, it, it Spider-Man's almost an uh, an incidental character to the in the Hobgoblin story. You know, he's gonna do his own thing. He's also really concerned with like appearances. Like he want he knows to throw people off his trail. You know, he's not a Norman Osborn that is switching personalities. Like to him, the goblin personality is just something he wears to, to throw people off the scent of him, not any kind of like, I don't know, performance that he's putting on. You know, it, it is a, it is just a costume. So do we want to get into some of these early stories with with the Hobgoblin? Yeah, I think for each of these episodes that we're going to do, we want to really break down like all the clues, because the big thing about the Hobgoblin is this mystery of who he was, right? That was the biggest appeal of the character, I would say. I mean, he's really well written, but like the fun of it was speculating. And you and I have problems with stories that are all based on speculation, but this was kind of the perfect combo, at least under Stern of like the meat of like what you felt like real good clues and like a character that's doing something interesting and interacting with Peter Parker so we're going to go through all the kind of like issues that have like major changes for the character. And so we can track the clues, especially as the idea of who this character is changes under other writers' pens. Is it, is it more about who he is, not what he wants? Oh, no, don't do this to me, Mark. Oh, yeah, that's good. So, Mark, tell us about like some, some of the issues and like what we can take away from each of them as we as we go through this. The very first issue is is 238, of course, which is the, the creation of the Hobgoblin, which, I mean, to this day is still, 
in terms of visual reveals is and we talked to JRJR about this at length when we had him on. I mean, like it's just like a phenomenal multi-page slow burn reveal of this character prior to that this this whole thing is set up by a character named georgie who's georgie dan yeah georgie is like i think he's just this like common street thug he you know was you know you know doing a uh, robbery and he gets chased by spider-man and ultimately escapes and it's kind of that classic situation where spider-man's like Oh, like he's not going to bother anybody. I'm not going to bother chasing after him. I've lost him. And it's kind of a weird note for the Spider-Man character, given his history, but it is kind of recreating this whole uncle Ben, the, the robber thing, right? Like the burglar thing, like where he doesn't expand enough energy to stop this guy. And so Georgie gets, it goes through the sewers to escape and discovers one of Norman Osborn's old goblin caches full of all the green goblin stuff. You know, I think at first we think this guy is going to be, you know, the, the new villain or something, but no, Georgie quickly sells this information to his unseen boss. That's just like a hand. It's like Dr. Claw from, uh, from inspector gadget. I think the thing that makes this character so exciting just straight away is like, Okay, all right, Georgie, fine. He's going to be a player in this. Oh, no, he's not. Because the, the the character that takes up the mantle of the Hobgoblin subsequently murders Georgie by blowing him up in a van. And so, like, any kind of clue that we have about anyone's identity is erased in that moment. And to me, this is, like, the defining stroke of, like, what would make the Hobgoblin such an exciting villain to follow. That, that's all what happens in Amazing Spider-Man 238, and then obviously we get the brilliant reveal of the new color scheme and new look of the Hobgoblin, which remains like one of our favorite things. You know, he would loom long over this title. It is funny to go back to these original issues before, frankly, I think the mystery just got a little too drawn out and, and lost its fun, which is, you know, unfortunately what kind of happens with a lot of these Spider-Man mysteries is I think the longer they go, the less fun they become when you look at these original issues, like you said, yeah, it's it's like Stern and JRJR, they just play the misdirection game right right away and you know, and and it, it grabs you. I mean, like this is you know, this is a lot of fun. I mean, like like you said, like you you bring in this guy and yeah, he's a common street thug that 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 Spidey lets go and that's that's you know, obviously ominous for Spider Man. I mean, not that you necessarily think that this guy's the hobgoblin, but you think this guy's going to be a player, and and then boom, literally boom, he's not, and, <laughs> and, and, and 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 it just sets the stage for like what the next couple of years under Stern this book was going to bring regarding this character, and then, you know that brings you into two thirty nine, and again, like we 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 we're just getting like little breadcrumbs, but they're 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 just enough to to really whet the appetite. I mean, you know, like the hobgoblin here in two thirty nine. He's, you know, basically he's, he's doing these quick robberies. He's kind of building up his criminal base here, but he's foiled by by Spider-Man. And, you know, it kind of like leads to him being like monologuing that, you know, if he if he were to be found out, it would ruin him. So like that again. So like we're setting this up. And I think like, you know, if you go back to the interviews, you know, the, like people were thinking, oh, it's 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 
Jay Jonah. It's I mean, you know what I mean? Like like who who would be ruined by by being revealed as as a supervillain like this? So it, you know, it kind of just opened the world of possibilities. I also think the fun like wrinkle of issue two thirty nine is that you know he's defeated by Spider Man immediately, and you know we've seen like villains like Doctor Octopus that ostensibly isn't a super powered human being like going toe to toe with Spider-Man, but like, and you're like, well, how is he doing that other than his tentacles? But here, like, he's just a dude on a glider, you know, and Spider-Man takes him down and you see how much of the goblin truly was the goblin serum that made Norman so strong. And so I think immediately you get this unique wrinkle of like, oh, wait, like this guy doesn't have the physical prowess like that, at least not yet. I, I always thought that was a really fun thing about this issue. Kind of sets him up like, you know, what is he going to do to kind of up his game for sure, right? Right, absolutely. So, Mark, what happens in the next issue? That's um, 244. We we come back and there's a break in at Osborne Industries Chemical Factory. And, you know, the vil- you know the person breaking in, of course, uses Hobgoblin weapons. And, you know, we get, a, we get a name for a suspect. We get Lefty Donovan, another kind of like, you know, ruffian criminal type (laughs) i mean you know lefty takes the chemicals to a long island estate which is you know yet another clue because now that's indicating wealth and power beyond just you know supervillain power and you know how goblin then kind of you know asserts in this issue that he's going to use these chemicals to gain the goblin power so you know like he's again like kind of what i just said he's he's using his brain to be like, all right, I, I, I went after Spider-Man once. I lost pretty easily. How do I gain the upper hand? I'm going to use these, these, these chemicals to, to kind of manufacture my own serum so I can be like the, you know, the OG Green Goblin here. Yeah, but the twist on that comes in, in issue 245 where we see this like Hobgoblin take the serum, get disfigured by it, and escape the hospital and fight Spider-Man and it's revealed, oh, it's Lefty Donovan. Like he must be the Hobgoblin. But then his glider like takes control and crashes him into a building, killing him. And it's in Spider-Man's mind, it's like, okay, I guess that's the end of the Hobgoblin. You know, he just kind of like committed suicide now that we found out his identity. But then at the end of the issue, you get the brilliant reveal that this was all a red herring by the actual Hobgoblin to test out the serum so that he can perfect it so that he doesn't suffer, you know, disfiguration or any kind of craziness. And I mean, that's like a level of devious. I don't think we'd seen from any Spider-Man villain in the comics up to this point. And it's like that on top of the, like the, the death of Georgie, to, to me, it's like this guy is like quickly elevated to like the top of Spider-Man's rogues. You know, again, not to get ahead into the episode two content, but like, you know, when we start getting actual reveals that would then be reversed as not reveals of who the Hobgoblin was. I mean, the Lefty Donovan situation kind of sets the the standard for like, oh, the Hobgoblin manipulated this guy to think he was the Hobgoblin, you know what I mean? Like, which would become a, a, a trope for the character for years to come. Uh, one that, you know, I think 
on its face is actually quite successful and interesting, but you know, if overused, gets a little tired. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, there's another interesting like kind of development in this issue, which is to say like one of the long suspected you know, identities of the character and then for a while confirmed identities of the character was Ned Leeds. And so in this issue, we do see Ned Leeds, you know, and I think it was intentional. Stern is trying to set this guy up as a potential suspect as the Hobgoblin. And we see Ned Leeds on a double date with Peter. So that's to basically establish for us like, oh, this guy can't be the Hobgoblin because he's with Peter at the time. But then when you get the, you know, the reveal that puts Ned back into the conversation, even if Ned doesn't really seem like the kind of guy that would have a palatial estate on Long Island. But then again, we don't know anything about Ned Leeds. Like, tell me one thing you know about Ned Leeds. Maybe, maybe he does. He's just being a journalist for fun. I think at this point of the storytelling, you know, besides like the, the, the red herring Lefty Donovan, I mean, my my potential suspects were were Ned Leeds and Lance Bannon, the photographer from the Daily Bugle, who kind of like, you know, keeps keeps showing up at the wrong time, you know, the right place at the wrong time or whatever you want to say when it comes to the Hobgoblin. So like, you know, but again, would Lance Bannon have a, a huge mansion on Long Island as a photographer for a newspaper? Probably not. But, you know, then again, Maybe maybe journalists just got paid a lot more in the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> Ned Leeds seems like the kind of guy that would inherit like a, a palatial estate from his like yuppie parents or something. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've always felt that like, you know, there's a story to be told with them bringing back the Hobgoblin mystery with Lefty Donovan. I know that's a character that nobody really cares about. And maybe this is like a too deep of a dive, although given recent Spider-Man comics, deep dives are, are, are what we do. I'm going to say. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we have Lefty Donovan who dies crashing into a building. But, you know, hindsight being what it is, we know Norman Osborn survived getting impaled by the Goblin Glider. Who's to say Lefty Donovan didn't survive crashing into this building you know they could so they could revive the threat of the original hobgoblin i mean come on marvel give me a call like we're gonna let's make this happen you know lefty donovan i think that's the hot ticket you are the new nick spencer you are just fixing stories that no one has to be fixed <laughs> all like, i want why is, is lefty, more donovan lefty donovan dead he shouldn't be dead <laughs> and granted we never saw lefty donovan's face i mean we know he's disfigured but like he could be anybody that's true. Oh my goodness, he's going all it's the way with this. We got Mason Banks, right? Like you, like plastic surgery in the Marvel universe is is amazing. So, like you know, there there's a story here. So that brings us we we get out of ASM continuity and actually out of Roger Stern's hands, and we have this spectacular Spider-Man issue number eighty-five, which was written by Bill Mantlo, and and you know this is this is considered part of like the original Hobgoblin arc, but. This is certainly kind of the the most offbeat of the issues. I mean, we actually see the Hobgoblin here take the Goblin Serum for himself. What are your general impressions of this issue? Because it, it seems it's probably the first problematic Hobgoblin issue, I would say. Yeah, I think this is probably like an indicator of things to come, which is to say, like, there's not enough of a like understanding of what's going on behind the scenes here. And you've got Bill Mantler writing this now. Now, granted, on the like opening page, it says like a special thanks to Roger Stern for helping out on plotting of this. 
there's a really weird part of the story where he, I mean, I think it's visualized in a really cool way how he like bathes himself in the goblin serum, which is also different than how we'd seen the serum administered before. But we get this moment to like what we now know to be Roderick Kingsley, like goes through this membrane into this chamber that bathes him in this goblin serum. But then there's like a page in a book that blows of like the instructions that blows away and reveals that like being subjected to this serum can lead to madness. And given like the issues we just talked about with Lefty Donovan, like that was the one thing that Kingsley was aiming to avoid. And one of the things that Stern was aiming to avoid, which is he didn't want to write a character that was insane. And we'd later find out that Stern objected to a line in this story. We don't know which one, but I have to imagine it was that. But it, he was objected to it because it, he thought the line would lead people to think that the Hobgoblin had gone crazy. And it was changed, but then he thought it wasn't changed enough. And I feel that when I read this story. It's really strange because it seems like someone that didn't understand what Stern wanted out of the character. So I totally get why he would be upset about it. So that brings us into kind of the, the final trilogy of issues. You know, I, I still consider this part of the Stern run, although Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends would, would, would you know, do the last issue of this. But we start with 249. I also kind of feel like this is, this is the part of the story where Stern realizes, oh, crap, I'm leaving the book and I really haven't advanced who this character is yet. So let me start throwing things out there. Stern is, is such a careful creative writer here but like you know i there is definitely a sense of him just kind of like you know carpet bombing <laughs> the storyline here with like oh let me get this out there because you know if i if i can't resolve it i want someone to resolve it the way i want it to so let me throw these characters out there anyway so 249 is you know as i alluded to earlier this is the hobgoblin shows up and he's like he's blackmailing all of New York City's wealthiest leaders like Kingpin, like J. Jonah Jameson. So like, you know, we're getting more and more suspects. We also uh, get Roderick Kingsley to show up in a comic book for the first time and you're, you know, since like the spectacular issues. And you're just kind of like, oh, why is this guy here? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it, 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 obviously in retrospect, when you go back, you're like, oh, of course, that's why he's here. But like. I have to like I, I just can't imagine like in the eighties like reading these books for the first time and being like, huh? <laughs> like what are we and doing? He, with this and guy? he's very different too. I mean, he's like in stature, he's just drawn differently. Like he looks like a much bigger dude than he was drawn in Spectacular. Like you, if you didn't read those Spectacular issues, you, I don't think you'd think much of this character other than just another guy in a suit. Any, anything else in in the line of suspects in this issue here? Well, here you you get like some kind of like the first kind of interesting like dual role for the Hobgoblin. You know, you've got like Roderick in the audience, but then you've got a Hobgoblin up on the stage. And, you know, looking back at it, you're like, oh, this is interesting. But it turns out that it's like a robot Hobgoblin. So, so that's kind of interesting. Like you can see that Roderick is... You know, with 2020 hindsight is like already playing with throwing people off his scent by, you know, again, using this lefty Donovan trick. And, you know, ultimately what we revealed all the way down the line is that he really had been, been manipulating everyone's you know, impression of him by being in the room with the hobgoblin. 
the whole time. You know, this issue ends, I mean, for it sets up this huge, like, you know, gallery of choices of people that it could be. And it ends when Spidey gets knocked out. The, the goblin is strong enough to defeat Spider-Man now because he's got this serum. And the kingpin puts a tracer from Spider-Man on the hobgoblin and basically is using Spider-Man to defeat his enemy for him. It's like a yeah, your, uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend or what, whatever you want to call it. And, and we get one of those classic things with the kingpin who is playing his own game. Which brings us into 250, which is like, you know, Stern keeps dumping his ideas into the comic. I mean, I think we get like another check in on Kingsley and then and he's like all panicked. Right. Is that is that this issue? I, I, I sometimes confuse the trilogy here, but that's 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 this one. Right. Yeah. And uh, so he like he's like uh, in his apartment with this woman and we get the sense that he's kind of a womanizer. But the most interesting thing here, like with 2020 hindsight is like he mentions like his brother, Daniel. And, and him like needing him for something. And, you know, again, spoilers, ultimately the Hobgoblin would be some combination of Roderick and Daniel Kingsley. And so this was meant to be the first clue towards that eventual uh, reveal. That's interesting. And of course you get Spider-Man, like he's going around to all the people he suspects might be a part of this or that might be targets of the Hobgoblin. And, and again, this is like, you said Stern, Stern just going like, here's all the clues I was planning in one issue, you know, exposition dump, exposition dump. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a favorite moment of yours in this comic that kind of ends the comic. Do you want to talk about this? Are you talking about the Jonah moment here? <laughs> yeah. You've made fun of this historically on our show. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, okay. So like, so you know, one part of the blackmail that, you know, Hobgoblin has on Jonah is that he was responsible for the creation of the Scorpion, which goes all the way back to the Lee Dicko issue, Amazing Spider-Man number 20. And and, and it, it just cracks me up because it's, you know, so at this point, Jonah is the, the I believe he's the publisher and the editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of the... No. Sure. Who, who, could, who could tell the difference between those roles? Right, right. You know, so Jonah, like, you know, tries to get ahead of his, of his blackmail story here, and he admits, he writes this editorial where he's like, I created the Scorpion, you know, I am totally disgraced, and just to show how disgraced I am, I'm going to resign as editor. <laughs> But I'm still going to oversee the freaking Daily Bugle with Joe Robbie doing the, the running the show. And I'm just like, every time it gets me, because it's just like, no, man, if you're like completely disgraced, you're out. You're out of the paper. I mean, could you imagine? Like, I'm, I'm so I'm so ashamed of my actions that I, I, I am just going to take one half step back, but I'm still going to have all the power at the paper. So anyway, it's, it's, like, it's like Mark Zuckerberg announcing meta. He's like, oh, you know, like Facebook's getting completely trashed right now. This is a perfect time for a rebrand. We've been planning this for a long time. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is he doesn't even need to do it because in the span of this issue, all the blackmail material gets burned. So he like positions it as and, and the comic does, too, as this grand stand. And then the next issue, it's like, oh, no, he's just fine. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of moments in, in comic book history where Jonah kind of like, in my opinion, rises above and becomes 
more well-rounded and 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 kind of like all right you know he's complicated you know he's you know bombastic and and over the top but like these moments give him some shades of gray that make you kind of respect him as as an individual this isn't one of them they try to make it like it is but to me it isn't i just i just find this utterly ridiculous like this is like a major swing and a miss for me from roger stern i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> well whatever he's leaving so yeah, yeah, exactly. see you later you, you guys deal with this Tom Falcon's problem now to figure out <laughs> exactly exactly so you know then we get like really like i know it's not considered the start of the defalco friends run but like it kind of is, but it's also Stern's final issue. And that's Amazing Spider-Man 251 with the big title endings on the cover. I mean, I dare say it. I think this is the most epic battle between Spider-Man and the Hobgoblin that exists. And it's like on the battle van, like careening through Manhattan as these two duke it out. And I mean... Look, I love JRJR, but like Friends steals the show in this issue. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, like, let's not undersell it here, Dan. I mean, this is not just the biggest epic battle between Spider-Man and Hobgoblin. This is one of the most epic Spider-Man battles, period, because it's like you got, you know, you know, the background of this is that he had lost his spider sense. So, you know, and, and it's like, you know, that that kind of like. F yeah moment where he gets his spider sense back and then like he just completely clobbers the hobgoblin like in this like 11th hour desperation moment and they're fighting on top of the van and it's just yeah it's just this knockdown slugfest I mean this is like one of the most brutal back and forth Spider-Man fights that you'll see I mean it's it, I mean to me I rank it up there with like the fight with Moreland in terms of just like the two two people just completely clobbering each other for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the visuals are great and, and the writing is really strong, too. One of the things I like about it is, you know, we've been saying, you know, but how dispassionate the Hobgoblin is in regards to Spider-Man. But this is where it becomes personal in this issue. And it's interesting because the Hobgoblin ends up losing the fight because his hatred for Spidey causes him to, like, make a mistake and fail. And to me, at least reading this, I'm like, this is the moment where his anger starts outrunning his intellect and you know and that's what causes him to lose and it's kind of the interesting kind of battle that you set up i don't know how much people would run with this going forward but you you see a character that like may have to keep in check these two emotions if he hopes to win against spider-man ultimately he loses his here his van crashes into the i believe what the hudson and he's <laughs> presumed dead his mask and we never to the see him again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all those people that die in Spider-Man comics in the Hudson, like the big right. wheel and black cat and <laughs> with, with all, none of them would actually die. Although maybe the big wheel died. I can't remember exactly whether the actual person comes back. <laughs> we all know better. This isn't the end of the Hobgoblin, but it feels like a fitting end to this era of the Hobgoblin and thus the end of our coverage of recapping this era of the Hobgoblin. I mean, like, these are some great comics. If you haven't read them, boy, do I encourage you to go check them out. Uh, I don't even think you need to read the rest of Stern's run, although I would also encourage that. But these are really fun, fine comics on their own. I was going to say, this is pinnacle Stern here, no doubt. I mean, this and Juggernaut to me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Mark, why don't you tell everybody about our Slack? 
Yeah, so hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more, including costumes, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the ones we're wearing today. Uh, you know, it's Halloween time, so people were sharing some of their costumes in the Slack, and that's been a lot of fun. You know, in addition to that, we've been talking on the Slack recently about kind of like our return to comic conventions as the world slowly starts to return to normal. It's something I know that, Mark, you and I are really eager to do as soon as we feel comfortable uh, doing so. So if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community in the Slack, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi and uh, let us know what you thought of the show when you come into our amazing Spider-Slack. So, Mark, why do we love the Hobgoblin? I mean, you and I have been, like, eagerly anticipating these episodes for a long time. You've written countless articles about the Hobgoblin. We should just do a Hobgoblin show because, like, we both so mutually admire this villain. What is it that we love about him so much? Like, I mean, dare say he's my favorite Spider-Man villain, despite his, like, very limited use. D- does he rank there with you? He's one of my favorite villains, but, like, I think, like... There's just so much more to him. You know, I mean, like, I hesitate to call it a successful mystery villain because the 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 reveal we got in the 80s, well, you know, part two, hint, hint, was so botched. To me, this was the best told mystery in Spider-Man comics, two point, <laughs> if that makes sense, like to, to about 70%, maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to, how to, how to quantify it, but like... You know, to me, like the, like that point of the mystery through the Stern run was kind of like, you know, the, the, the template for how you do a mystery villain. As you alluded to earlier in the episode, I mean, he's a legacy character, but like he's so much more than that. Stern, again, just with his conscientiousness and, and, and thoughtfulness when it comes to writing these comics, like he really went out of his way to be like, no, no, I don't want to just do Green Goblin in orange and, you know, <laughs> in blue. I want I, I want this character to be different. I want this character to have his own attributes and, you know, his own qualifications. And he does. I, I mean, like, I feel like he establishes that beautifully in, in these original run of issues. So that's that's to me what what sets him apart from my from my eye. I agree with you on all of that. I mean, I think a lot of it is we're coming to this, like, at least for me, I came to it after the fact, like after it already been cleaned up. And so like, I can look at this villain in its entirety, including Hobgoblin lives the kind of like soft conclusion for, for the character. And so I can really see it its entirety. Like, I don't know how I would have felt uh, having gone through the Ned Leeds confirmation and then years of nothing, I probably would have been as angry as I was about the kindred reveal, you know, but looking at it in 2020 hindsight, like I think this character in terms of the mystery and what we know of the artist's or writer's original intent, this is the most thoughtful reveal and mystery in Spider-Man comics, I think. And, but, but even all of the mystery aside, and as much as I love the behind the scenes drama that we're going to discuss on the next episode, I, I love it for like, it's one of the rare times that like all these parties are really, truly open about what went into 
making a historic moment happen uh, for all the good and the bad. I think just on the page, he's a tremendous amount of fun. He's so smart and so cunning and Spider-Man truly feels outwitted, you know, with other villains, he could maybe beat him up a bit more or like find the strength within himself. But the Hobgoblin was willing to go to extremes and willing to mess with the reader. It's almost like the Hobgoblin had read all the Spider-Man comics and knew how to play against us. And that includes bringing in the supporting cast. Like the issue where we find the robot Hobgoblin and it pins maybe Jonah and Kingpin and stuff as people that are associated with this guy, like is really exciting because it's normally like Spider-Man villains were like one-off affairs, like other than maybe like early Green Goblin where it would have a crime master and stuff like that. And these guys weren't all related, but the Hobgoblin had a way of kind of capturing everybody in his web. And I think that made him really exciting because not only was he playing off Spider-Man, he's playing off the Rose. He was playing off the Kingpin. You know, he was involved in everyone's business and outsmarting them all. And, you know, a smart villain is always fun to read. You know, some other fun things about, you know, kind of ancillary to the Hobgoblin. I mean, like, we both obviously have Amazing Spider-Man number 238. But do you have the ones with the tattoos, Dan? I don't. I don't have a tattoos. Do you? I do not have a tattoo. But I know, like, apparently, and, you know, this was like, you know, for those who were alive in the 90s, <laughs> I always remember looking at uh, Wizard, the you know, the, 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 the price guide for comics. And, like, you know, there would always, there was, like, those two signifiers. There was 238 and then 238 with tattoos and it was always like where what are these tattoos why is this worth so much more what is this madness (laughs) i always look when i see a 238 i always am sure to check like maybe this is the one with the tattoos like do i need the tattoos no but if i see it it like lord knows i might be the dummy that drops you know more on it you know which is also to say like i think these are jrjr's best covers on Amazing Spider-Man as well. I mean, every Hobgoblin cover is iconic. Even just like him tearing the costume in half or like the being like, you know, wraithed in fire. I mean, these are these are epic covers. I mean, there were a lot of epic JRJR covers, which makes the Straczynski era a little bit sad because we didn't get those. But his Hobgoblin looks so dang cool and epic on these covers. So uh, I, I always really appreciated that. And that made them feel special to me. Why don't we talk a little bit about the behind the scenes drama? Because, OK, we, we keep talking about episode two. Episode two is when, like, you know, the, the, the SHIT hits the fan with this character and it becomes a big mess in terms of editorial dysfunction. The, the character's creation under Stern was fueled with a little bit of drama and behind the scenes turmoil, don't you think? I 100% agree. So why don't you get us started? Like, where, what, where did the kernel of this idea start? Well, you know, uh, as, as we, we, you know, had our episode a few months back about, you know, the other people's bad guys. And I didn't do my, my, my voice there. I apologize. Stern was, was under pressure, basically, to bring back the Green Goblin in some shape or form. And, you know, in his mind, he was like, 
He wasn't going to revive Norman Osborn. He wasn't going to revive Bart Hamilton, the third Green Goblin, and, you know, God bless. And he didn't want to put Harry Osborn back into the Goblin attire because, you know, like, Harry's gone through too much. So, you know, like, I mean, you know, at the time, you know, while Stern is using characters like Cobra and Mr. Hyde and stuff like that, fans are writing in saying, where's Doc Ock? Where's Craven? Where's the Goblin? We want this, you know? And... So Stern, you know, and is this? I believe this is from his DeFalco interview. Am I am I right here? Um, I believe this is from back, back issue thirty five. Okay, sorry, I'm 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 mixing up my my sources here. Well, anyway, Stern Stern basically said, "Look, here here they are yet again." Most of the mail asked for the return of the Green Goblin, who at the time was dead. Hamilton was dead. Norman was dead. Harry I liked. I didn't want to put them through this crap again. And I was not into bringing dead guys back, and it never occurred to me to bring Norman back. I was more interested in bringing in some new characters, particularly a new, really strong villainous character, so I decided to meet fans halfway. So thus the Hobgoblin, right? One of the interesting things from the interview that I read was that Tom DeFalco remembers Stern coming to him and kind of just flat out proposing that the villain would be this thief, right? The the Georgie character who just found the stuff and took up the mantle. But it was Tom who remembers that it was he who proposed to Roger that the thief would report to someone else. But he said he couldn't really be that clear. He notes all the real creative juices came from Roger, but that he felt that was his contribution to the lore of the Hobgoblin's creation. Yeah. And, and, you know, Tom, who, you know, in one of his interviews to us early on said, to, uh, you know, I don't know if this issue, this episode's still available, <laughs> but, you know, he was like, you know, Tom had like a background in mystery writing. So like, you know, he, he, he took great interest, I think, in, in what Stern was putting together here. I, I always do find it interesting, you know, and I think, Stern said as much in an email interview I did with him back in the day for one of my Hobgoblin uh, articles that I wrote for Chasing Amazing. You know, like, did you always have Kingsley in mind? And he said, no, I didn't. I mean, you know, like it, it was, you know, it, when he first created this character in 238, he didn't know who who was going to actually be the character. I mean, like you just said, he, he was going to just do Georgie and have it be one and done. But then, you know, as he started writing the character more, he kind of came back to... Kingsley, who he had written in Spectacular, and he was like, oh, that son of a bitch corporate leader I had introduced in my first issue of Spectacular 43, a high and mighty pain in the ass. Corporate leaders, wingnut Republicans are my favorite villains. They write themselves. Oh, boy, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get us in trouble. Ultimately, he, I think he got everybody in the spider office in trouble because he never told anybody who the Hobgoblin was, not even John Romita Jr., which John admitted in our interview with him. He and Tom DeFalco agreed to keep it a secret from each other, but DeFalco kept his own list of suspects and suggested to Stern that if he didn't like the choice, well, you know, Tom's the editor, so he could just change it, you know, so get prepared for me to not like who you have in mind. <laughs> And uh, that would that would uh, take form a few years later, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, John Romita said kind of on our show and he said in other interviews that he never really loved the name Hobgoblin, but went with it anyway, saying that eventually Stern won him over. In terms of art direction, Stern told Romita, look, I don't want any green and purple, which I think is a fair suggestion. 
I don't know where how uh, orange and blue was ar- arrived at, and and neither do any of the creators. It was a color scheme that seems to have arrived at some point, but nobody remembers who came up with it. But he did tell uh, Ramita to make him look a little bit creepier in the face and to look more quote unquote medieval. And I think that's where you get some of the kind of like chain mail elements of the character that it would kind of crop up over time um, as the years would go on. One of the things I always love about Stern's original idea was he wanted to play this mystery out uh, about as long as uh, Lee and Dicko played out the Green Goblin mystery back in the um, mid-60s. So, I mean, you know, figure Green Goblin was introduced in ASM 14. He was revealed in 39. So, you know, math majors, that's what, 25 issues. That would have been around 263. But, you know, unfortunately, Stern kind of abruptly left the book due to some kind of editorial... You know, not not not, you know, and I think he also wanted to work on Avengers, which he was also writing at the time a little more full time. So he never got to do it, unfortunately. Well, he he did. He just missed it by a decade. (laughs) Well, right. That's very true. (laughs) But in interviews, he suggested that his plan was he wanted to further integrate Roderick, Roderick Kingsley into the main cast and set the stage for the grand reveal involving his brother, Daniel. But obviously, we're going to talk about that down the line. How did things go for Stern as he kind of like left his role as the writer of Amazing Spider-Man? He finally admitted to uh, Tom DeFalco, who, you know, was the editor, but then kind of gave way to Danny Figueroth and DeFalco was going to become the writer of Spider-Man. So he said, you know, he told him what he was going to do. And, you know, DeFalco has said in our interview to us and Ron Friends have said in their interview to us, like, wait, what? They're brothers, but they're not twins. What, what, what is this? <laughs> like, what, what is this madness? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to go in a different direction. And thus, the next few years of madness would begin. <laughs> and uh, all of that madness will be covered on the next episode uh, of, of this show. So um, that kind of brings to an end, like, our, uh, you know, the Roger Stern run on the Hobgoblin, at least for now. I mean, the, these kind of sit with me as some of my favorite Spider-Man comics uh, of all time. And, and thus, like, my favorite villain, the Hobgoblin, you know, is truly born here and really solidified here. It's kind of my like ultimate. I wish we could have seen Roger Stern finish this out. I mean, we kind of did, but like, boy, I would love to have those extra 20 or so issues that really allowed this to like, you know, be what he originally wanted it to be. But, you know, I am happy also that it became such a mess because it is entertaining in its own right. Yeah, I mean, the mess kind of adds to the legacy of it. Let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, I'm looking forward to talking to you on future episodes about that mess. But in the meantime, I do want to say to everybody at home, if you find this show, you know, entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. You know, the best thing you can do is recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. You know, we have a really loyal fan base, but, you know, it's small and we could always grow. There's a lot of people that would love to learn more about Spider-Man or join our community that just don't know we exist. So if you can help tell people about us, that would be awesome. But if you want to go a step further, you know, maybe you could become a member of our Patreon. 
That's right, Dan. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. So this week, Patreon members can hear Dan and I discuss our review for Amazing Spider-Man number 77, The Beyond Arc. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. So um, why not take that $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way, you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends. He's created a lost page of the kid who collects Spider-Man for us, which was inked by Brett Breeding. And this page depicts Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy and for me to enjoy. These these Nick Cagnetti images are phenomenal, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one for this episode is one of my favorites he's ever done. And I know the Cool Comic Art Twitter handle recently promoted it. So, you know, you want these kind of unlettered, really beautiful-looking images to, and high reds to make your background? I mean, look, Nick is... Honestly, I think it's a steal. Like, I can't believe that we got Nick doing these for us. So that's really exciting. You know, we know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But again, if you do have the means, please consider joining our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. You know, we couldn't do it without you. And it means the world to us that you help us continue our show. Yes, Dan, but alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode comes edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and Spider Madge. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. Well, Dan, I had a lot of fun tonight, but what kind of fun do we got coming up in our next episode? Well, Mark, we've been teasing it all night. I'm excited about this. We're going to be continuing our Hobgoblin trilogy with what should be the most interesting episode of the bunch, I think, which is, yep, we're going to be talking about all behind-the-scenes drama that led to what I dare say is one of the most bungled reveals in Spider-Man history. Uh, To do so, we're going to be bringing back interview clips Uh, that we've done with creators over the years all about the Hobgoblin and hopefully talking to some new, you know, new interviews and new creators involved with the reveal and to finally sort the whole thing out. Mark, you know, everybody's been waiting for it, but I think this is it. We are going to be delivering the definitive look behind the curtain of the Hobgoblin's reveal. Like I want to put it all down and have this thing live on in perpetuity as the source <laughs> for hobgoblin stuff like and everyone will have to answer for their sins right we are going to hinder this thing oh my god well now now you're you're now you're getting me scared dan but 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 i'm still into it <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I, I can't wait to, uh, to do it. And, uh, we've got this great artwork. If you're watching on YouTube from Nick Cagnetti for our next episode, you know, revealed for the first time here, I I'm thrilled. I can't wait to do it. Mark and I have a lot of work ahead of us to pull this off because we really want this one to be special. You know, thank you for waiting this long for the first episode. I think the second episode hopefully will, uh, further capitalize on your patience. Thank you again to everybody for hanging out with us. So again, if you are tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation is going to continue with our audience on YouTube. And if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, we'll be back soon, both on YouTube and all the podcast players that you enjoy. So go there to YouTube, subscribe, click on the bell to stay on top of our new live recordings that we're going to be doing in the future. But until next time, Mark, we have to leave everyone with our motto, the very thing that forms the kind of base, the bedrock of our show. So Mark, until you find another man's pajamas in the sewers and start running around town in them, what's our motto? <laughs> our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.